You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Bob, and I want to talk with you this morning about that uh, ultimate destination that we're on. We've been talking about stages of faith and going deeper in faith, and the ultimate destiny that we have in life is to love God with all our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. That's our ultimate destiny, that we were created to enjoy God and to glorify God in our life and to experience what Jesus was talking about on that Monday, Thursday night when he gave his disciples these commandments, this new commandment, he called it, and yet it wasn't new, the commandment to love each other as I have loved you. So it made it new because it, it's God's love flowing inside of us. And Jesus says something very striking on that night, that Monday, Thursday night. He says, my commandments are not burdensome. (laughs) In other words, there's a place that we can get to on our journey in our relationship with Jesus where it's not a burden to love God with all we got and to love others as we love ourselves. I'm not there yet. People ask me sometimes a question. We do this check-in uh, as a staff quarterly on how you doing? How are you doing in loving others is one of the questions. And my response is I love people about, well, I live about 90% of people 90% of the time. <laughs> so I'm not there yet. Hi, how are you but guys? I want to get there. Wow. She's looking I want to get to 95%. I want to get to the place where I really love God and love others completely. And I know that it's the love of God poured into my heart and my spirit that is going to get me there. That's my ultimate destiny. A love in which we kind of lose ourselves and we forget ourselves and we are spontaneous and we're free. It's a love that liberates us. It captivates us and yet it liberates us. We're really free to love. So that's the adventure that we're on, and uh, I hope that it's, it's a place that you are so focused on in your life that you will not ever settle for anything less. Nothing less will do. It's a love that you can see on 
people's faces. It's a love of, of intimacy. It, it's, it's a love that is joy-filled. It's a love that forgets. One of our great joys in, in our life is, is being a grandparent. And Oren, our, our grandson, comes over. And when he comes over, he acts like he owns a place, and he does. Uh, and he thinks he's really special, and he is. Last Sunday, as we were doing barbecue with Bob, and we were doing the tour, and I was in the middle of the pack, and I heard this voice, Papa, Papa. And he runs up. And uh, all I do is kneel down, and he, he hugs me, and he kisses me, and he tells me that he loves me. And he doesn't care who's around. He doesn't care uh, whether he's intrusive or interrupting. He's not worried about etiquette. He's just being my grandson. That's, that's the kind of spontaneity and love that God is calling us to and to experience, certainly with people that we are intimate with, people who are family members, people that we work with, people that are friends, but ultimately with everyone. Susan and I uh, raise dogs. Actually, she raises dogs, and I'm supportive. And uh, we've had a lot of different dogs over the years. Uh, meet Colton Wong. Now, one of the things that I get to do uh, whenever there's a male dog in the family, I get to name the male dog. So over the years, Ozzie Smith has been in our family, and Yadier Molina has been in our family. And if you don't know those names, that's really sad. <laughs> and this is Colton Wong, who's the second baseman of the St. Louis Cardinals. Just want to let you know, KJ. And when he was a puppy, Susan told me, do not let him up there. Why not? Because when he is big, he will think he belongs up there. He will think he's a lap dog. <laughs> and so he's an 80-pound bundle of joy. And when I'm in my chair and he's in the room and Susan lets him loose, he thinks he belongs up there. He doesn't know any propriety. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And usually I don't care either. <laughs> Today we're going to be looking at a story of a woman who broke into a wedding, not a wedding party, a dinner party. And she didn't know propriety. And she didn't care in her expression of love in terms of how it would make other people feel or think. She was caught up in her love for Jesus and nothing could hold her back. So I invite you this morning, if you're able, to stand for the reading of the gospel. We're going to look at the passage from Mark chapter 14. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. 
While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. You will not always have me. She has done what she could, and she has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. You may have a seat. So what's going on? This is, this is the final week of Jesus' life. He entered into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, this Palm Sunday that we are celebrating today. Remembers that event. And he's praised by children. He's praised by many people. This is Tuesday night when this event occurs. Two nights or two days before the Passover meal. The Passover meal is the great celebration of Jesus and God liberating the people of Israel out of Egypt. And they... Two days from then, they'll be eating the Paschal lamb, and the next day, Jesus will become the lamb. Jesus will become the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And people, some people are oblivious to this, but the woman is not. Now, there's various people at Simon's house. He's hosting it you get a sense that it's prestigious people. The disciples are there and then some honored guests. Probably no women present. And in the midst of the dinner party, this woman doesn't know any propriety. She bursts in and she anoints Jesus' head with this extravagant display, this wastefulness of perfume. The head is a sacred place. It's in the anointing of the head that kings or queens were anointed. And it's also an intimate place where you, you, know, you just don't let just anybody touch your, your head. She does it with this expensive perfume that some people suggest may have been worth a year's wages per capita income in Springfield, Missouri for a family of four today is, what, $80,000, $82,000. So you get the idea. But she, she has to do this, and she does this in a way that obviously touches Jesus' heart and spirit. When my mother was pregnant with my brother and I, my father said to mom, 
and this is long before the days where they knew what gender was coming, if you bear me a son, I'll get you a dozen roses. She had borne two daughters, and he wanted a son. And so when she presented two boys to him, she asked, do I get two dozen roses? My dad, being the practical one, said, no, let's, we better just save her money and buy diapers. <laughs> she never, ever got her roses. She's a tough old farm girl. He was a really good guy. But she should have got her roses. And sometimes, friends, we're too practical. Uh, we're too frugal. Not just in terms of money, but in displays of love. Why give flowers to the dead when you can give flowers to the living? This woman seizes the moment. This woman recognizes and understands what's going on. And she wants to take that moment and that opportunity that she may not be given again to let it all out. And she empties the content, not simply of an alabaster jar, but the contents of her heart and lets it go. Now, not, not everybody appreciates this. There are scoffers and there are scolders. Judas is there, and we know that just after this, Judas went out and talked to the religious authorities, and he arranged the way in which Jesus would be arrested, and yes, there was some money that would exchange hands. There are people that are protesting besides Judas at the table. They remain nameless. But they ask the question, why wouldn't this money, why wouldn't this perfume be sold and given to the poor? Not that they really cared about the poor. It's amazing sometimes how pious and concerned we are about people in need when some people do something extravagantly and wastefully of a display of a love for God. This woman is willing to pay the price, not just the price of a jar of perfume, but she is willing to pay the price if she does not care what other people think of her. She pays the price and she runs the risk of just letting herself out there and open to criticism and come what may. Have you ever done that in your love for God? Or have you been restricted sometimes, like me, when God was calling you to do something, or you just know that there was a way and a moment in which you needed to express your love for God, but you were intimidated by those who might scold you or simply not understand. There are harsh and hard words that are spoken to about and by us. There's a prayer, that's the prayer I pray because there are scolders outside, but you know there's scolders inside of me that will scold me and intimidate me and keep me from letting love out. 
the way I know it needs to come out. I want to keep a lid on it. And so I pray almost daily, free me from the harsh and hard words spoken to me, about me, and by me. Liberate me from that. Free me from the intimidation of other people. And lead me, Lord, into your love that I then freely offer it to other people. You can see it on some people's face, can't you? When they're just lost in love, when they're lost in joy. They don't know any propriety any more than an 80-pound German shepherd knows that he's, he belongs on the lap of his master. That's, that's the kind of love that church we're called into to express. That's the love of God. And it starts with his love for us. We love because he first loved us. We don't know how to love. We love because he first loved us. And then we love other people, not on the basis of how they love us, but the way that God has loved us and given his life for us as the great sacrifice, the aroma of Christ. And so I'm a part of that. I, I get to play into that, or I get to restrict that from happening in my relationships with you, with others, and in this church. It's interesting that Jesus rushes to her defense. <laughs> Jesus says to those who are scoffing and scolding, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a great thing for me. She anointed my body for death. And I like to think that as I read the gospel and I read the stories of Jesus, that I'm in those stories too. And Jesus will defend me and defend you when we do something that's ridiculous and extravagant and wonderful and others may scold, and voices inside of us, where we just freely have to let go. I am convinced. I am convinced that the, one, the number one way in which this world will be healed in when, is when there's enough saints, when there's enough people where you can see it on their face. You can see it in their hearts. You can see it in their actions that the love of God flows freely into them and touches the lives of others. That is the healing that the world is called to. It goes right back to the words of Jesus, a new commandment I, I give you, that you love each other, and my commandments are not burdensome. One of the ways in which I have been able to hold on to my faith over the years is simply because of people like you or people that's in this church or people in my life where you can see it on their face. Dion Axelm was one of those guys. Dion Axelm was a guy that was a part of our church for decades, and I got to know him for about 11 years before he passed in 2011. He was a World War II guy. I remember him telling me his stories 
But sometimes he would be able to look into the face of the Japanese bomber in the other plane. And he was wondering into whose family might he be killing into. And that gripped him in a world where there's so much violence and so much distress and pain. And he went on and he did his life work in irrigation work and in water projects. And he went to various places in the world where clean water is scarce, if even available. And he gave his life in, in passion and love for people. He was a Stephen minister. He was one of the most gracious men I ever have ever seen or known. And his life still speaks. You could see it in his face. And he set up at his death before he died. I remember him coming in and saying this is what he wanted to do. And he set up this foundation for clean water through the United Methodist Committee on Relief and through the Missouri Methodist work. Our board just Thursday night voted and, and we approved the first distribution of $6,700 and there will be an annual distribution to the Haiti Project so that people can have clean water. Why well, I say this to say all, that in Dion there was this mingling of his love for God and his love for people that you could not distinguish one from the other. Where the two commandments become one. It was said of Mother Teresa when she cared so much for the poor and, and the people in Calcutta, how can you do this? How can you love these people like you do? How can you continue to do this for the poor? She says, it's not because I love the poor, it's because I love Jesus. I see Jesus. Every time I minister to somebody else, I see Jesus. It wasn't that she didn't love the poor, but it was her love for Jesus. It was Jesus' love for her. It was Jesus poured into her heart that caused her to be Jesus to other people and to see Jesus in others. And that's the ultimate destination, and that's the stage of, that's the stage of love. That's the ultimate place where we are called to be and to become in this life. And I just cannot settle for anything less. And I hope you don't either. It's the morning. Uh, we want to invite you into uh, an opportunity to display love. And just as the woman anointed Jesus and worshipped him and loved him and, and this love can flow into a room, you, you sense that it was restricted isn't that what's sad in Simon's house at night? I've got to ask the question, what if, what if the others, instead of scolding and scoffing, what if their response would have been different? What if they would have poured out whatever they had on them? Wine or oil or perfume or anything of value, their gift to Jesus? What if they would have just done that for Jesus and for one another? How different would that have changed the whole story? And I believe these stories are living and real, and I think 
That's the kind of love that can change your story today and my story and our church and this community and our world.